No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, terrific. Language and writing were made available. He'll teach you everything. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Hey, guess what? I'm John. This is John Helps You Write Better. And we're going to talk about writing better and doing stuff. You know, stuff like writing better. Here we go. And today we conclude Every Sentence is a Camera Part 3 by looking at Part 5 of Part 3, which is, all right, look, originally this was supposed to be a workshop. There's supposed to be screens you're looking at. And I have struggled for a way to make that available to you in order. I thought about including PDFs in the show notes. I thought about, you know, loads of different ways of making visual stuff aware or available or accessible and then i realized that according to the the metrics of how people are consuming this podcast no nobody's clicking show notes nobody's clicking damn near anything so instead i'm going to try and walk through verbally some of the elements in exposition and some of the elements in description that can help elevate scenes or elevate what you're doing in a way that isn't only specific to a particular situation, because a lot of this stuff, whether we're talking about, oh, that's a really good scene or that's a really good paragraph, a lot of it is really, really specific. It's a really like in this context, in this moment, in this thing, this really works. If we were to take this same tool and apply it to somebody else's writing, it might not be as good a fit because people write differently because stuff is different or any number of other reasons. And I think that's really the first point I want to make. You've got to understand that writing well, writing better, doing a good job writing, whatever you want to frame it as, whatever you want to call it as, is incredibly situational. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you'll do it once in a blue moon and then never do it again. It doesn't mean that, like, it, it's rare or exotic and difficult to get to. It's something you can do consistently. It's something you can do, you know, pretty much on demand as you want. And it does not require you to like hyper overdo or re, 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 rewrite a sentence until it becomes something else. You can just, you know, write and it'll be fine. So let's talk about that in, in a, kind of a toolbox sort of approach. Because one of the first things you need to think about before we even talk about like the specifics of what we're going to say, like we're in a scene and what's the goal here? That's that's one part of it. But we can look at a, at a really crunchy pair of ideas for description and exposition that are going to make a difference. The first is going to be sentence size. Just purely how long is this sentence going to be? Or if you've already written it, how long is it when we go back and look at it? A shorter sentence is, no matter the content, is thought to be A, faster, B, more urgent, and C, generally like active is probably the best way to say it. Whether that's a sentence fragment, whether that's just a single word, whether that's somebody talking, shorter 
increases tempo, increases speed. It hits the gas pedal for whatever we're talking about. Now, shorter is relative, right? There's no magic word. You know, there's no magic number that says, ah, you wrote four words. We're no longer short. It, it doesn't work that way. We're not ordering drinks at a coffee place. Sizes are, are massively flexible. Don't overthink it. But the shorter you go, the more urgent, the more active the sentence is presumed to be. Now, that might not be the case because the context of what we're writing is the thing that determines whether or not it is short or is effective or ineffective or anything like that. But if shorter possibly hits the gas pedal, longer pumps the brakes, slows us down. Why? Two reasons. One, there's just more words to contend with. It just takes longer to get through. And two, um, well, not to put too fine a point on it, when a sentence gets really long, a lot of people love to shove shit in it. Long, complicated clauses, lots of description. And this is another point worth bringing up. You don't have to write all the description in one spot. We don't have to, like, glob it all in there. We don't want to leave just big chunks of description and then bare spaces and then other big chunks of description. We want to try and even it out so we get a total cumulative view for things. A little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here. This plus this plus this plus this keeps us moving. That's what we're aiming for. The other factor here, and I think it gets really, really un underrepresented because we don't teach it so much anymore in school and a lot of it just gets brushed off on social media as boring or unsexy or dull and that's punctuation commas for instance are not like caltrops they're not the rock salt we scatter on ice to melt it we're not throwing them behind us willy-nilly like rice at a wedding they're not they're not these things that we just have to, you know, huck around like we're feeding chickens. Commas are purposeful. They can do several things. Periods are just fine. They end sentences. Not everything that's big and exclamatory and, oh, my God, amazing, needs an exclamation point. Likewise, not everything that trails off or adds a pause or creates momentum needs to have an ellipsis in there. Learning how your punctuation punctuates, learning the basic rules of how do I end this sentence, how do I build this sentence, where do I put this, where do I put that, is going to go a long way in helping frame a particular kind of view in your reader's imagination. So the length of our sentence plus how we structure that sentence, length plus structure, is going to give us the best opportunity for each sentence to operate like an effective camera. Now, let's, let's talk about this in some cinematic terms to help further cement this idea. Anytime you change focus from one object to another, you've got two options. One, it's a new object, so it's a new sentence. That's going to be your go-to move nine times out of ten. Or two, if we're going from one object to another and those two objects have some kind of relationship you want to establish, like we're talking about the couch and then pillows on the couch, or we're talking about how this is a car and that's a car and they're about to drag race or something, as long as we're constructing a relationship between the two, instead of making it two sentences, maybe you want to do another comma. You don't have to jump to a semicolon and just so we're clear, semicolon lovers, check this out. Here's how to use a semicolon. 
when the thing, the amount of words before the semicolon could be its own sentence, and the amount of words or the structure of the thing could be, you know, after the semicolon, its own sentence, the semicolon acts like duct tape and sticks them together within one sentence with this semicolon as a bridge. Beyond that, that's really the only rule you're going to need to probably worry about for semicolons. All the other rules are very contextual and often misunderstood. So instead of trying to like make the semicolon a thing, let's just use it like duct tape when we have basically two full sentences and we're squeezing them into a one-sentence suit. But past that, learning how to pivot from one object to another and learning how to build a relationship between objects in the order that we show them, in the order that we expand on them, in the order that we explain them, is going to make each sentence feel like it's got a, what's called imaginative potential. The ability to read a thing and go, oh, I can picture that. You're describing it clearly. You're saying a thing. I get it. I see it in my brain. Here's the abstract part where a lot of writers struggle. And I'm always surprised when they struggle like this. People ask, well, what should I write? What do I picture? How do I describe more? What do I say? They're not struggling for like the, the adjective to describe the correct shade of orange or something. They're wondering what else to talk about. And what that reveals to me, coaching-wise and editorial-wise, is that they haven't thought through their idea entirely. You know, They're going to say, oh, well, they've walked into a bar. Okay, let's pretend the reader has never seen a bar before or has only seen them in certain single still images or under certain constraints. Rather than just trust that single, weak, uninformed decision, let's pretend they're an alien coming down from another planet and they've never been in a bar. What do you give them the visual tour with? How do we organize these thoughts? What do we talk about? A lot of writers skimp on this because they think it's boring, but it's critical. For instance, if I say I'm in a room, your character is in a room and there's a bomb, you're going to want more details because is the character holding the bomb? Is the bomb in this, under the seat the character is sitting in? Uh, am I in the room? Am I the bomb? Is the character the bomb? Is the bomb in the wall? Is there nothing? Are we indoors, outdoors? Is there a ceiling? Are we underground? There's plenty of details we could bring up, plenty of things we could talk about, and you have it in your brain. Slow down, take your time, try to get as clear a picture in your head as possible. What room are we in? What space are we in? If I walked in this room, where would my eyes go first? What would I be drawn to? Take a guess. You, it's, it's not a matter of trying to choose the right one like we're winning a game show. But take a guess. What's the biggest thing in the room? What's the most important thing in a room? If you were telling me, hey, come in here and pay attention to something, what would you tell me? All those little details that might seem unimportant to you are absolutely positive, super crystal necessary. They're like, put a big giant gold star by it. Holy shit, you definitely super need this. They're needing to be crystal clear. They're needing to be made apparent so that the image in your head can become the image in my head as I read your text. You are helping me enjoy your story when you feed it and stoke it with detail. 
And when you move from thing to thing, consider making a new sentence and keep us moving. Don't worry about pacing. Don't worry about, you know, length and readability and all that shit. That'll come later. If we're still in a stage where we're just trying to picture rooms or picture scenes or picture people or picture anything more effectively, I'm talking to you first draft writers, I'm talking to you people who have struggled to fill word count and people who have struggled to write an engaging story, rather than sweating all the extra fiddly bits, how about we just go right back to basics and take a look at what are you giving me to picture, how well are you giving me that picture, and what are you doing with the picture once we have it. Let's go back to the basics. Keep this simple. That doesn't mean write childish baby sentences like see dick run, run dick run. It's more a matter of how can I get this picture across to you, which is going to necessitate you having the picture in your head. And if that means you have to slow down to stop and think about things, then slow down. And I understand like sometimes that is just the worst thing to say to somebody because they're already sweating. Oh my God, it's taking so long. Nobody gives a shit. It does not matter how long it takes. Your goal here is to do the best job you can in the space you have. It doesn't matter if it took you an hour to write this scene. Like, I'm sorry if you had other plans and you felt rushed for the rest of the day or you felt like you didn't get as much done as you had hoped because this thing took longer. But if you did a good job at this thing, who gives a shit how long it took? I, I get it, though, because it's a sense of, like, I had five things to do today, and I only got one done. Okay, but maybe instead of focusing on the four things you didn't, how about we focus on the positive? You wrote a really good scene. You wrote a really good chapter. You made a really good moment on the page. Like, why isn't that valuable to you? Why do we care more about the time? Why do we care more about the hurry up? Why do we care more about, well, I have to hurry up because end result, end result. How about we just celebrate the positive for a hot fucking second? If your words hit the page and they are made clear to someone else so that they can imagine it, whatever it might be, you're doing your job. The rate at which you do this job is not an indicator of how well you do this job. We're not trying to hit like a, like a production quota or something. We are just trying to put an image in somebody else's brain. And if that takes you a while right now, I'm sorry if you have some kind of expectation around that. But the truth of the matter is, as long as you get the idea in somebody's head, time is not a factor. I understand that you have lots of words to write, lots of ideas to produce. I get it, but it's just not really a thing. So when we're crafting exposition and description, when we're shaping the images one sentence at a time, one idea at a time, one concept at a time, and we're moving the camera every chance we get to better focus in, to better dial in, to better be emotive, to better be expressive, take your time. Try to be as complete as possible as often as possible. Overwriting, writing too many details, writing stuff that just seems like you're throwing everything at the wall, writing everything out to the nth degree is a good habit to get into because you can always trim it down. And if you're sitting there going, oh my God, what about word count? Fuck word count. Nobody gives a shit about word count. Word count is fixable. No one knows and no one cares if you stayed at... 85,000 words the entire time. You don't get an extra bonus cookie. There's no like, there's no party horn or anything just because you did a really good job. 
It doesn't matter if your word count went up and then you trimmed it back down. As long as word count is where word count roughly needs to be when we're done this thing. But if we're not done, who cares? It's, it's not a factor. You don't have to let all these later details of, of publishing and production influence the creative process. Those are things that come down the road. Those are steps 15 and 16 in our instruction manual, and we're over here on like step two and three. Just stay here. Just focus with this. If you have to overwrite and you end up cutting it later, well, then you overwrite and you cut it later. The big takeaway here is to ask consistently, when the reader reads this sentence, what should be in their head? To what degree? When they read this sentence, how should they feel based on what's in this sentence and what's in the sentences before this sentence? Snowball rolling downhill, remember. This plus this plus this plus this takes us to the present moment. Every sentence is a camera because we're trying to put a movie in the reader's head. Not just an impressionist painting, not just a Wikipedia summary, not just the like urgent sort of mysterious Zen cone upon which they will meditate. A full ass movie with sight and sound and music and feelings and tone and quality. Please treat every sentence like a camera. Give this whole week of podcasts some thought, and I will talk to you next week.